Oh yeah. Canceled too soon. A podcast. Podcast. About TV. Television shows. That were. That were very, very short. Canceled too soon. One season or less. Oh yeah. This week on Canceled Too Soon. Profit. Profit. What the hell does that company do? They companize. And do business. Business. Hello everybody and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted one season or less. My name is William Bibiani, I am a film critic for Crave Online and Blumhouse.com. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. Ooh, and he's using a sexy voice. Well, you, you get your announcer voice. I have my bedroom voice. Oh, my. That, that's all I got. Welcome to my bedroom, Whitney Seibold. <laughs> and uh, I'm also a film critic for, this, uh, for Crave Online and for Blumhouse.com and uh, other places as well. And this is my profit voice. Okay, uh, this episode we're going to be talking about profit. Profit, not to be confused with The Profit, which is a relatively new series. Uh, Profit is one of our most requested episodes uh, mm-hmm. in the history of this show. Not quite as popular as Firefly, which doesn't count. <laughs> had a movie, mm-hmm. had a had a second shot. Uh, but Profit is one of the most notorious one season wonders uh, in basically of the of the nineteen yeah. nineties. And in yeah. fact, it didn't even get to complete its its opening well, season it, despite it, critical it, acclaim. It got some critical acclaim. They filmed eight episodes. Mm-hmm. But before they had a chance to air them all, the film was canned. Uh, the show was canned. The, the show was canned. You said the film. Oh, excuse me. The show yeah. was canned. We're film uh, critics. Sometimes we slip up. Sorry. Sometimes I say book, too. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Four episodes aired in 1996. Between April 8th and April 29th, it was the film. It was the show that followed Melrose Place, and it could not keep that audience. Melrose Place was a huge hit. And then Profit oh, came on, and it was all about, like... Drug addicted, incestuous businessmen, mm. uh, and it was number one hundred and thirty eight well, of the, in the Nielsen ratings out of one hundred and sixty shows. You'd think because you know Melrose Place of that sort of it was a spinoff of Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero. Melrose Place, not profit, right? Yeah. And it sort of followed that sort of prime timeization of soap operas that sure. was happening at the time. Very Aaron Spelling, uh, because it was Aaron Spelling. Uh, Aaron Spelling strode the earth like a mighty colossus. Although he couldn't get his vampire show, Kindred the Embraced, to, uh, more, for more than one season. We'll get to Kindred the Embraced. Come see, come saw. But uh, uh, <laughs> you would think that they would be able to sort of roll that sort of sexy L.A. soap opera into this dreary office place soap opera a little bit better. You use the word dreary. I think we can see. Because it wasn't lurid. It was mean. Well, it... Profit is a mean show. It was lurid. Here's the way I like to think of Profit. Profit is the kind of show that you would catch your parents watching after you snuck out of your bedroom after having been put to bed. Like, that's... (laughs) This is the kind of show that you imagined adult TV was when you were a kid. The kind of show that you didn't get to see. And here's the thing. When you were a kid, at least when most of you were kids, Uh uh, this show was not not on the air. Profit, <laughs> profit, we're going to talk about Profit and we'll go the, into profit. profit. was barely on the air at all. Profit was barely on the air at all. Mm-hmm. And in the mid-1990s, there was, for however weird and dated this show now is, mm-hmm. there was nothing like it. Well, y- you, you have to consider the kind of things that you see in Profit 
didn't just weren't on TV mm-hmm. at the time. Right. Uh, it was a Fox show, so of course it was. Mm-hmm. They were trying to sort of push the envelope into tastelessness a little bit. There was a show uh, on at the same time as Profit called L.A. Firefighters. <laughs> <laughs> this was That's the exactly a- what you think it was. This was the Acapulco heat era and Baywatch nights. You know, the, the, just all, all these horrible, horrible shows were coming out. And uh, but yeah, this is a show that had yeah, like you said, incest and yeah. open discuss of abuse, but folded into the drama in a really lurid sort of way. Uh, two women almost kissed in one episode. They didn't actually there, kiss. There's but actual like they're they're having a lesbian affair. That's clear. They're, they're having. They're just a le- not, we're just not seeing it. Lesbian. Kisses were still this thing you could do them on prime time, but there would be a special episode. Yeah, it was, where it, it just, was kind oh, on Roseanne. There's going to be a lesbian when kiss there were, tonight. When we there need were to gay, advertise this all week. When there were gay characters were car- starting to come to the forefront, but yeah, they were their gayness was always kind of the point of the character. Right. They weren't they weren't ever just incidentally gay. And whenever they had yeah a gay kiss between two men or two women. It was a big deal. Yeah. Also, there was an episode earlier, was either the second or the third, where... Of Prophet? Of Prophet, where you saw part of his butt. Oh, yeah. And this was, a, I think this was after Dennis Fransgate, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on an episode of NYPD Blue. NYPD Blue pushed the envelope a lot on TV. Mm. It was male nudity. I think they, they, were, they were the first primetime show to say the word shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and there, they, there they was, were they're really trying to push yeah. boundaries. So as such, Adrian Pazdar, who plays the lead character on Prophet, gets out of the shower in one episode, and we see the like we about, see that he's nude about one third of his butt. We see a, a, a full buttock, but no crack <laughs> essentially. Yeah, like basically. But this was network TV, and at, in nineteen ninety three, ninety four, ninety three. Uh, of what? Profit? Of Profit. 96. Or 96. Profit was Jeez. 96. Oh, God. Even, even at the 20 time. 20 years old. Even at the time, though, weren't seeing a lot of butts mm. in prime time. <laughs> a loud refrigerator. Yes, I don't know do. if you can hear this at home, folks, but if that, yeah. you're hearing it, that's the refrigerator. Whitney's going to uh, detach that. What is Profit? We've talked a lot about sort of uh, why Profit was, was considered lurid. Profit was a television series uh, from Stephen J. Cannell Productions, and this was, they did the A-Team and the Rockford Files, very mainstream stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was created by David Greenwald and John McNamara. Uh, David Greenwald also went on to do uh, Buffy, Angel, Moonlight, which eventually we'll do on this show, mm-hmm. uh, Miracles, which eventually we'll do on this show, <laughs> Surface, which eventually we'll do on this show, and Jake 2.0, which eventually we'll do on this show. Oh, I can't wait for Jake 2.0. John McNamara mm-hmm. uh, did Briscoe County Jr., which eventually we'll do on on this show, mm. Spy Game, which eventually we'll do on this show, Vengeance Unlimited, which eventually we'll do on this show, <laughs> Fast Lane, which eventually we'll do on this show, The Fugitive from the year 2000, that's not the name of the movie, that's not the name of the show, though that sounds cool. The, the reboot of The, the Fugitive. The reboot of The yeah. Fugitive with Tim Daly from Wings, eventually we'll do that on this show, Prime Suspect with Maria Bello, eventually we'll do oh, that I, on this show. The, that, 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 that's, that's high on my list, I really want to do, <laughs> really the, want the, to do the, the American Prime Suspect. Really? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, shit, I guess I'll have to do that one soon. Um... In any case, they have a lot of canceled too soon experience. <laughs> but um, no, note a lot of those shows are actually kind of known and acclaimed. Yeah, like they're, like they're fa- not bad shows. Fast Lane was really acclaimed, uh, or at least popular. Or like, pop- well, people pe- liked it. People liked it. And yeah, the people uh, who liked it liked it a lot. Uh, there's a whole cult around the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Yeah, Moonlight has a lot of huge fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so they created a show, and it was based off of uh, one of them watched Richard the Third. And they thought, oh, shit, someone should do this in the modern era with business. And they created a series about a man named Jim Prophet. Grown. 
terrible name, <laughs> uh, played by Adrian Pazdar, who had been around before. He starred in that great Catherine Bigelow uh, vampire movie, Near Dark. He was uh, one of the hotshot fighter pilots in Top Gun, yeah, who doesn't have a lot to do, but if you know who to look for, he's in every scene. He's around. He... Uh in this show, they're selling him as sort of this uh, hunk, essentially, yeah. and and he's a handsome bloke, but he, handsome. he has sort of his his features are a little too gentle to really pull off the sort of sex god vibe that they're going for. But it's good casting for profit because he's got to appear, um, mm. even though he's a sociopath, yeah. he always has to seem mm. uh, uh, approachable. The idea is he is a man well, but he's, who he's, do not a, he's not a Christian Bale type, though. He's much more huggable than that. Although, it's, I think it's pretty clear that, that someone who worked on the show had definitely read American Psycho. Uh, yeah, this is this true. This predates yeah. the movie, but they'd read the book. Um, yeah, it's the about, book is from the 80s. It's about a young... Uh, mm shark of a businessman mm. uh, who works at a company called Grayson and Grayson that is sort of this sort it's, of this dynasty it's Gra- um, Grayson with a C not like yeah. Dick Grayson which I kept seeing in my head yeah but like the the family who runs Grayson and Grayson are like the Kennedys like they're famous people know them mm. uh, and he is working his way up the ladder he wants to be president of acquisitions which is basically that, as powerful as you can be without actually running the company and indeed that is his stated goal at the beginning of, of the series he flat out says I want, to be, I want to be president of acquisitions. That's my goal in all of this. And he uh, will do literally anything to get that job. Including uh, eventually almost feeding a 12-year-old to a pedophile. That, that, yeah, like that that's nearly, how, that that's nearly how despicable he is. Um, this, this is a show that was not afraid mm. to have a protagonist who is absolutely despicable. Like, there's mm. really... As the show goes on, you start sort of maybe finding, like, maybe he's not so bad. And then you realize when he's doing something that doesn't seem so bad, he's only doing it because it benefits him. Yeah. It is. And what's fascinating about this. He has no soft side. And despite a few attempts to make him sympathetic by showing us his past, the show is always very careful to bring us back around to hating him. And what's fascinating about it is that. You would think mm. he'd be the villain, and he is. Obviously, he's the antagonist. He's someone who is who is manipulating the people around him in disturbed and disgusting ways for his own personal gain. He's not a good person. He's the bad guy. But everyone around him, mm. with maybe only one or two notable exceptions, uh, is equally corrupt or despicable. They might not be oh, as aware of it. They might not be as self-aware. They might not uh, be quite as bad. A, a common... The, we talked on the show uh, mm. about guilt, mm. uh, about how the TV show guilt, the TV show guilt, mm. about how it was. It seemed like it was trying to be a show in which everyone uh, was just kind of a bad person and kind of gloried in that and like mm. you know have that be the drama. In profit, we have it, but it's not that fun. It's actually well, just sick. It's it's uh, drawing. Uh, you've mentioned Richard the Third. It's dr- clearly drawing on much more classic storytelling tropes it's a, a classic anti-hero story mm-hmm. and uh, the the fun thing about these kinds of stories if they're told well is you start delving into these dark parts of yourself as a viewer mm-hmm. in that you really want to see that guy succeed 
And uh, mm-hmm. that's the best kind of anti-hero. And uh, he clearly stood in for future protagonists. Uh, Mad Men is all over this show. Oh, um, yeah. Mad, uh, Men, Mad Men is a disciple of Prophet. Like, Mad Men probably mm-hmm. would be a different show if Prophet hadn't tried some of these things out first. And uh, also uh, Walter White in Breaking Bad or, mm-hmm. or any of the many, many shows about ordinary people who get into something illegal to make mm-hmm. ends meet. Or even just shows about unapologetic criminals like The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. It feels like Prophet was kind of a proto-version of that and sometimes profit failing and we're going to talk about some of the things mm-hmm. that the show didn't do well but what it did right was and and i can see why it wasn't popular mm. especially at the time there's nothing <laughs> like it uh is it was an ugly side of humanity and it there was no one to latch onto. there was no like the hero there's like one character in the show who seems like they're going to be a hero like a proper hero mm. Out of the show by episode two. <laughs> like, he's gone. <laughs> well, and the, the, the Jim Prophet, however, does have a rival in the form of Lisa Zane's character. Yes. Billy Zane's sister. So another weird guilt mm. crossover. And Everything we said guilt needed to be, Billy Zane's sister did it 20 years earlier. <laughs> so, Lisa Zane, who you may recall from Freddy's Dead, The Final mm. Nightmare, and not a lot else. Well, she, she's been around. No, she did Freddy's Dead. Um, yeah, she, she was a voice in Biker Mice from Mars. Um, Lisa Zane... Uh, dressed in suits even frumpier than Dana Scully's. The biggest like, coat I've ever seen. Like, they, they are shapeless form. This is a lot of really unfortunate 90s fashion on the women. Mm-hmm. The men get off a little bit better. Well, men are just wearing uh, suits. It's, yeah. It's pretty fine. Uh, women have to be is, sort of timely, and it, the, yeah. the look has an age. She's well. head of security at Grayson and Grayson, and over the course of the pilot learns just how despicable he is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it... In the pilot, in the pilot, uh, he murders his own father. Yep. Uh, in order to cover up his past, because it turns out his real name is not Jim Prophet; it's Jim Stakowski. Yeah. And uh, and he was raised by an abusive father who mm. kept him in a cardboard box with nothing but a television for company. So he has got a, a warped view of reality, and uh, it's revealed that. He still sleeps in that box within his own Dracula space hole. Yeah, it's probably uh, not the same box, but he sleeps in a box. He sleep, he's he's he recreated sleep, that, that and environment. And the reason he wants to work at Grayson and Grayson, and this is stupid origin story crap, is that <laughs> it's in it's a Grayson and Grayson box. It was a shipping container for that company. Yeah. And that he's became obsessed with well, the company at an early they age. They talk also about how his father was kind of obsessed with the Graysons the way that say my mother was obsessed with the British Royal family. There you go. You know, he looked up to the Grayson brothers, the way mm. my brother, my mother looked up to princess Diana. Okay. So, but now, there, so this was his idealized version mm. of family. Uh, uh, and so he wants to ingratiate himself in that company. He wants to rise in the ranks of that company. But God help you if you get in his way. Uh, other players in the drama. Uh, there um, is Sykes, who's introduced in episode two, who seems... That's three. Or three, excuse Sykes me. Sykes is episode three. Uh, he's played by Sherman Augustus of uh, Low Winter Sun. Who's who's damn handsome man, who mm-hmm. uh, is also a bit of a rival, but is also... Uh, equally caddish in a lot of ways. What's interesting is he's um, trying to be altruistic. He's trying to use his position at the company in order to do the right thing, in order to help people, in order to take down the corruption from the inside. Mm. But he's 
equally corrupt in the way he does it, and perhaps well, only it, Prophet it, sees or, how close they really are and, to each other. And show. even though this show only lasted eight episodes, we they kind of dropped that altruism angle really early on. Well, like in the first episode, he wasn't that nice, really? He, he, he thought he was, he, but he wasn't. Well, he was he, what, the way he, he did was, something. He was, was doing bad. corrupt things, but by the time we get to the end of the show, he's just mm. snarling and overacting like everybody else. That's mm. another really big element of this show. Mm. All the overacting. There's a lot of overacting. There, this just, is not a subtle ev- program. Every single character is just swinging for the walls. Uh, but I think what's interesting about that is a lot of the show is trying to dramatize something that I think, especially at the time, they didn't think would be terribly dramatic. Business mm. dealings. And so as a result, uh, you know what, I, I the acting is kind of broad and theatrical, and a lot of the plot points are kind of slightly overdone. I, I think, actually, the way this the show handles business is so wrong-headed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this this was a decade after Wall Street. So, you know, we knew kind of the lingo of this stuff. I think the showrunners just had no real interest in getting the details right. So they instead... And I instead think it's because relied, they thought it would be more interesting. They said... They instead relied on sort of these soap opera dynamics mm-hmm. and played the show a little bit more broadly just to keep your interest. All right. Anyway, uh, let's let's move on to the other characters right. just so we can get started on the episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also Bobby Stakowski, uh, who is Prophet's mother uh, and his lover and a heroin Step- addict. Stepmother. Originally, in the apparently in the original script, uh-huh. actually his mother. Okay. And uh, when they turned out that Prophet would have to go to uh, network television as opposed to cable, mm-hmm. uh, they downgraded that to stepmother, but it's still pretty raunchy. And one thing you'll notice is that he sleeps with her. You don't really see it, because again, it's network television, mm-hmm. but he sleeps with her in the first episode. He never overtly sleeps with her again. There's, there's flirting and there's talk of it, but then, he never, well, then, it, he's always like but, prevented from sleeping with her the, after, after At the that. end of the eighth episode, it's also pretty explicit. But, but like uh, for the most part, it seemed like they tried to shy away from it as much as possible while still keeping she, it alive as a plot point. Bobby is also the only, I guess, the only sort of person Prophet has on his side. Well, he's the only person he can be himself with. He, he doesn't have to lie about who he is. Even though she is only in his good graces because she blackmailed him because she also knows his real identity and will threaten to come out. And he asks her for dirty favors uh, yeah. along she, the course of the show. She seduces people for profit. Uh, he helps her out as well. She's played profit. by Lisa, one second. She's okay. played by Lisa Blount, mm. who I loved as an actress. The late Lisa Blount. She's wonderful. Oh, she's tr- she's tr- my yeah. favorite character in this show. Yeah, uh, Lisa, uh, Lisa Blount. Uh, you might know her from An Officer and a Gentleman, or John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, mm. or the fantastic Rutger Hauer Blind Samurai movie Blind Fury. Uh, she also won an Academy Award for producing the short film The Accountant in I think two thousand and one. Okay, uh, but so tragically she did pass away. Yeah, uh, not terribly long ago. She was pretty young. She was in her fifties, but she was just she's a delight. She's having the time of her life on this show. Well, Bobby speak- is a great character. Speaking of, of the overacting, she's the one who's just biting into this thing with the, <laughs> the most uh, thrill. Uh, Prophet is having an affair-ish with uh, Nora Grayson, who is the wife of one of the new inheritors of the Grayson company. Let's back that up. I think it's more, I think it would be clearer if we talk about the Grayson brothers and then talk about Okay. Them. Well, so there's, there's the Grayson brothers. Okay. So there's Chaz Grayson, who runs the company, played by the amazing Keith Zarabica, mm-hmm. uh, who Angel fans will know as Holtz, who was like one of the biggest bads on that show. He and... And Prophet have the same voice. They both talk like this. This the, is how they talk. This is just exactly what men uh, talk like in when, the world of Prophet. If either of these men were asked to voice 
a cartoon lizard, <laughs> they wouldn't need to change their voice at all. Like that that's the the level of voice acting they're doing in this. Like it's so fake. Like it doesn't sound natural at all. It's the just, sort of growly lizardy voices. Just how he talks, My name man. is Lacerta Lacertilia and I'm here to <laughs> swallow your pigs. You know, it's yeah. it, it, it's Anyway, Chaz Grayson runs the company. I, 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 he's, it's he's, a weird yeah, choice. Is he's, my he's got a really funny, passive-aggressive sense of humor. Like, every time someone leaves the room, he has a great one-liner to say about them. Um, and he has a younger brother, uh, Pete Grayson, played by Jack Gwaltney, who really didn't do that much. He was on Damages for a while. Uh, and he is the sort of the black sheep the alcoholic. Mm. Uh, if you saw either version of Sabrina, he's the younger brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, which is either the, William Holden or, or um, Greg Kinnear. Or Greg Kinnear, yeah, he's, he's that guy. Uh, and his wife, uh, played by a really distractingly beautiful actress, Alison Hasek, mm. who's just got this like other world. Like she should be playing angels in things. She, like, she looks like she jumped out of a painting. She, she's super blonde. Yeah. Uh, but in that, in, a, in an attractive way, though. Hmm. Um, but uh, and she is his long-suffering wife. It, they make a point early on to find out that not only is he an alcoholic, but he's also impotent. So she doesn't feel very loved. She doesn't have anyone to wear, and she kind of runs into Prophet's arms, and he tries to seduce her a bit to get ahead, hmm. uh, and then he pulls away because he knows he can't keep that going for too long. That, well, but then she a, won't stop trying to get back in bed with him. That's something that happens a couple times in this show where they move toward the infidelity, and I'm not sure if the censors put the kibosh on it or if this was just part of the conniving nature of the characters, but the affairs never went all the way forward. And I suspect, since this was 1996, this wasn't the type of show that was willing to break those boundaries and really start exploring the drama of a continuous affair. They had to at the beginning of every episode, more or less get back to status quo. So they couldn't say, these people are having an well, affair. I th- they had to skirt up to the affair, get all the, the drama of having had the affair without actually having the affair. Well, people have affairs, just Prophet doesn't. And I think what we you notice if you as you watch the show is that Prophet will, you know, manufacture legal documents. Mm. He will... Uh, you know, sell you, like, just literally sell you to the Chinese. Mm. He'll do, like, whatever he can. Th- there's That's a whole plot point. We'll talk about that episode in a minute. That sounded weird when you say it in a vacuum. <laughs> but, like, he will do anything. Uh-huh. But he never has sex unless it's getting him somewhere. Right. I don't think he has a sex drive. No, I think he he's definitely... capable of having sex, obviously. Mm. Like, he, he he's physically, he's able to be turned on. I don't think he cares about sex because sex... Or in romance mm. implies an emotional connection, and I don't think he really has emotion. Well, he, he's he's so distant. Uh, you're, you're, you're describing the character. You're making him sound more interesting than he actually is. I think it's fascinating. Uh, he uh, he, it, he does see human sexuality as something very mechanical and something uh, yet another thing he can manipulate. You know, you know, you know. Here's he, the, like he he knows the ins and outs of it from an outsider's perspective, and he's willing to play with another person's libido. Uh, in one case, a lesbian's libido, in one case, a pedophile's libido, right. to just sort of position the players in the way he likes. Prophet is Michael Myers if instead of killing people, he was a capitalist. Like, that's what uh, he is. Because he, no, he, he's he's Gordon Gecko exaggerated. Well, no, because here's what I think of. There's that moment in John Carpenter's Halloween, the original mm-hmm. Halloween, where Michael Myers stabs a guy mm. and he like the guy sticks to the wall 
and he's kind of a couple like a few inches above the ground. And he just sort of tilts and his head sort of, and looks yeah, at him. And... Michael Myers just sort of looks at him curiously, like, huh. And that's something Adrian Pazdar does a lot. He's constantly like a little surprised by humanity. Well, when that's, someone that's just not... like surprises him or does something, he just goes, huh, interesting. Well, and, like, and, and you, can, you can see the Shakespearean influence, though. That's the kind of character Shakespeare wrote a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, Iago was, comes uh, to mind a lot. Well, yeah. and, and, and Richard III, where yeah. the, these sort of, uh, I guess, uh, Aaron the Moor from Titus Andronicus, you know, these mm. sort of aggressively amoral, char- immoral characters, even. That, yeah, not amoral. Uh, they know they're doing the wrong thing and they mm, just don't care. That, that they sort of get off on not not caring and, and doing horrible things to it. And, the, the point of these characters is sort of the immediate dramatic thrill you get from somebody who is using all of their time and energy and cognitive space to do wickedness that if they and the whole point is if you concentrate hard enough you can do the most horrible things in the world to another human being there's an uh, element, yeah uh, since this is network tv and profit is played so broadly it doesn't quite play that way this is like the the cheap matinee version of that right uh but you can see sort of the echoes of it kind of leaking down. And again, you go back to that Shakespeare, mm. um, what Richard III and Iago mm. from Othello would both do uh, is they would talk to the audience, just mm. have a soliloquy, talk directly to the audience, not just think to themselves, but say, hey, audience, mm. here's what I'm going to do. Watch. <laughs> and then you do. And that makes you complicit. Yes. And that's what Prophet does, because Prophet not only has a voiceover at the beginning and ending of every episode, he talks directly to the camera. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's, it's, he's like Rod Serling in fact, if one, he made one, the Twilight Zone happen. One, one character, in one episode, he steps in front of the camera and, and just looks and says, I have been summoned, and then walks away from the camera. <laughs> that's all he says at the beginning of that episode. And what's interesting is that he was raised by TV. I wonder if that's just how he thinks protagonists are no, like he, I think he, he just watched Rod I, Serling and he thinks that that's a thing maybe so I think the series is just kind of lazy in that regard they're trying to sort of explain his evilness by saying he was raised on TV and it was it was really hip in, in the mid 90s to sort of skewer the effect media was having on the mind it was just sort of a, a big hit yeah. uh, news hot button issue at Prophet the time says not in every uh, episode but Prophet often says that TV is bad for you yeah yeah ha <sighs> ha dude like what, about, what? One of my favorite lines from the movie Scream uh, is, uh, "Movies don't mo- create movie, killers. movies don't create killers. Movies make killers creative." Yeah, that's mm. that's true. Let's talk about uh, the first episode. It was a pilot episode. Mm. Uh, it was a two parter, uh, and uh, we're introduced to all the characters. We already gave you the basic gist of it. Mm. And what's interesting is that Prophet actually gets within a hair's breadth. Of getting exactly what he wanted in the first episode. <laughs> he is so good at all of his manipulations. He convinces the Graysons that the older brother is sleeping with the younger brother's wife. Um, and it's all going really swimmingly. Like he doesn't even have anything in his way. Mm. And then right at the last minute, oh, I'm not getting that job. I'm getting the job right under that job. Mm. And the guy I set up to, you know, get fired. Did the clever thing I didn't think he would, and now he's got that job. And now that guy knows I'm a monster. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and that was a, that's a, it's just a good little twist. So the guy that Prophet's trying to destroy in this episode um, mm. is uh, uh, 
like a good businessman. Like he's a decent person. He slept with uh, Joanne, the character played by Lisa Zane, the security uh, expert, um, and that has put his marriage uh, to Vash from Star Trek. Uh, uh, J- Jennifer Hetrick. Yeah, uh, she plays his wife. Uh, so their their marriage is very uh, estranged, and he suspects very early on that Prophet is a bad person. Prophet gets the dude fired. Then Prophet gets the guy arrested for a murder that didn't happen. <laughs> like a guy just died of natural causes, and Prophet in the second episode gets this guy framed for killing it, mm. and then actually manages to manipulate the situation so that it's so bad for this guy that it's better for him to plead guilty. Mm. Holy shit! That guy was supposed to be our protagonist. That guy was like the nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> that guy was gonna be the guy who got us through the show. Two episodes in. Gone. Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't, I place no uh, actual faith in the fact that there was going to be a protagonist we could root for. The, well, from I'm saying right, they, they right, make you think there might be, is my point. Right, right from the, st- no, I didn't, I didn't assume that at all. I, mm. I knew this guy was going to go down for, for something or other because okay. Jim, Jim Prophet would arrange it that way. Mm. Uh, this is, uh, this, this show banks a lot on. Uh, a famous archetype at the time of the evil yuppie. And mm. yuppies are still used we as... We saw this in Dracula the series. And, uh, yeah, Drac- Dracula was a yuppie. And in yeah. fact, uh, Alexander Lucard and Jim Prophet can be compared in sort of... what well, one's a Saturday morning version of the other, but yeah. In fact, uh, 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 producer uh, David Greenwald, who went on to work on Angel in the, in the TV series Angel, uh, they dealt with a law firm... Uh, that was literally run by hell. That was like <laughs> hell's outpost on earth. They were lawyers. So, and there was actually talk for a while, and they actually tried to see if they could do it, of bringing Prophet in as a character. Oh, that's like, really funny. actually Jim Prophet <laughs> would just be a lawyer for this company, but they just couldn't figure out the rights. Like Adrian Pazar uh, wanted to do it, they wanted to do it, the rights weren't available. Oh, that's a pity. That would have been fun. Um, but yeah, the, the, the evil yuppie was a thing, uh, thanks mm-hmm. to... Reagan in the 1980s and all yeah. of the horrible uh, yuppiness that was going on at the time. The novels of Brady and Ellis, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it all came to a head in the film version of American Psycho, and I think that was sort of the final hurrah of this archetype that we don't really see anymore. We see them as, like, workaholics now, mm-hmm. but, yeah, the sort of slick-backed hair, 1980s yuppie in the power suit. The movie version of American Psycho officially demonized that, and now mm. it's not cool. Yeah, well, yeah. they were being demonized all the time in movies, though, thanks yeah. to Oliver Stone. It started probably started in earnest with Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yuppies were easy targets. They were often the butt of stand-up comedians' jokes. They were often the butt, like, the villains in sitcoms. Just these wealth-obsessed assholes. Mm-hmm. Emotionless, mm. sort of inhuman, uh, uh, yeah. successful, but well, unhappy. Fi- it was fi- like every, yeah. everyone was a young Scrooge. Financi- financially successful, emotionally corrupt, yeah. uh, sexually like promiscuous and three, unfaithful all over the place. Three ghosts will visit uh, them in their 70s yeah, and they'll repent on their deathbed. A, a lot like, of cocaine as well. Yeah. Uh, so... By making a show about evil yuppies, this is very much low-hanging fruit. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, we're, we're surrounded by all of these archetypes that we had been known that we'd known for a decade now, and yeah. there was no sense that any of these people were going to be the least bit decent because we didn't want them to be. We want to root against mm-hmm. those evil yuppies. We hate them from the start. It's all shorthand. So, by introducing a hero character in the first episode. 
there's no chance. I, I had, yeah, I, I had no hope that this character was going to continue and actually be the moral center. There's no moral, moral center in this universe. It's established really early on. Mm-hmm. It helps that they filmed in Washington as well. It's set mm-hmm. in Washington State. Uh, so the sky is never clear. That's Everything's really always gray, gray, gray and gray. There's, hazy. There's a good line uh, from Stephen uh, J. Cannell, mm-hmm. again, who produced the series. Uh, he said, the only critics of Prophet were some business types who thought it portrayed them poorly. I'm reading this from an article from the Daily News. Okay. Uh, no real exec would ever murder his father, blackmail his boss out of his job, and crash naked in a cardboard box. Maybe one, but not all three. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, yeah, that's yeah. and that's cute. But um, yeah, no, it was it was low hanging fruit. But at the same time, it was still topical. The idea of a corporate America, uh, a, a nation run not by politicians and mm. leaders but by the people who handle the money we made a joke at the well, beginning this, of the episode but this was 96 it was already late for that okay. no, 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 i'm just Sorry. saying but like it still wasn't dramatized very often these guys weren't like the protagonists of shows very often mm. um we made a joke at the beginning of the episode uh where we talk about what does grayson and grayson do exactly they mostly buy other companies and then just take the profits yeah, which yeah, is a, which is a business model, but like, they, like none of these people have accomplished anything in their lives. They just bought other people's accomplishments, mm-hmm. and I, I, yet they have a sense of pride. Maybe that was the point of the show that mm. by keeping what Grayson and Grayson does kind of vague, like. What does Patrick Bateman do? What does his company do? I have no idea. In fact, that's the big question of a lot of yuppies. A lot of them were like commodities brokers and stuff. But that's so vague to the ordinary man that it seems like they're getting wealthy off of literally nothing. Right. Like there's just, they're they're moving papers around and somehow getting millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. But this fil- film, this TV show didn't seem like it was clever in that way. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed like they just didn't ever put thought into what the company did. Like in their minds, they knew what well, they were doing, but that was never communicated to the, the I th- audience. I think they were interested in the type of person who would do business mm-hmm. in sort of this like heightened hallmark evil business way. <laughs> right. Uh, but I don't think they had any idea how business actually worked because uh, every time they tried to do something that seemed like it was kind of official – it's hilarious. We <laughs> yeah, need to talk about like, the use of computers uh, on profit. Well, for, first of all, the, the business language is completely inaccurate. The use of computer... Okay, they use the word modem. You know what a modem is, right? Sure, it's yeah. what we used to com- connect to our computer that connected it to our phone line that allowed us to get online mm-hmm. back when the internet was on telephones. Well, we still have modems. They're, well, they're, called, white, they're called routers now. Routers, but like, we, okay. we still have the technology. We still need them. I was around in 1996. We so ne- We never, not once, used the word modem as a verb. They do it three times in the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a great bit Modem, where, modem it over to me, they say. Nobody a, ever said that. There's a great bit where the Graysons want to acquire a garbage company that's run by a Russian mobster. Mm. And Play, profit, played by the, the rapist from the Shawshank Redemption. That's right. Well, the yeah. actor. Who the actor, the yeah. In the Shawshank Redemption, not the guy. Uh, but uh, Prophet is sent over there, and he's, he's responsible for cooking the books. Mm. So that it looks like they're getting a legitimate company. Uh, and then Sykes, who is trying to, um, this is actually in episode three. Mm. Uh, Sykes is the, again, he's like the guy who seems like he's an altruistic guy, but he'll do anything underhanded in order to achieve his, what he considers his lofty, noble goals. Um, he modems over a computer <laughs> virus that sucks out and erases all of the files mm. and then the Russian mobster is going to kill Prophet and says no no this guy's still electronically and the Russian guy turns to his account and can he do that? Yeah. The guy's like 
Yeah. Really? <laughs> like, can, can that happen? What? And, and yeah, and, and when he thing? when he steals files, he doesn't like make a copy. He like yeah takes them out of the yeah. one computer and puts them onto another. Uh, Whoever was writing about computers had like these were all like older guys who were still writing on typewriters. They had yeah. no idea how computers worked. Okay, and because then yeah, there's let's a recurring get, motif. Let's get to the VR. Uh, <laughs> oh God! Uh, so so <laughs> when, when someone accesses a computer in the Prophetverse, mm-hmm. um, they're not opening a screen and either seeing like a DOS format where you're just typing in commands and stuff happens, and they're not opening like a Mac or Windows operating system where there are like a desktop files on the desktop and you mm-hmm. double click uh, they're entering a virtual reality space much like uh, a really shitty video game from that era like like, like e- missed like everything well, is missed like there's there's a there's a e- digital even, recreation you know, even, of the office and people and like crappy cgi models of all the characters are standing in their crappy cgi mm-hmm. office next Co- to their files comparing this to mist is an insult to mist uh this <laughs> This was like sub TV commercial level of just like reboot was. It made reboot look like Hayao Miyazaki. You know, it was. was, uh, Remember the original Star Fox? Look better than this. (laughs) Polygoniest of of CGI. Uh, And yeah, he would interact with people or examine people when they were standing in front of these sort of wire frames with essentially photographs superimposed over their heads. Yeah. And whenever he symbolically vanquished one of his foes. Yeah. Got them that, fired, got them arrested, something. That avatar would explode. <laughs> explode into pixels. And then if he found out that actually they got their job back or somehow managed to double cross them, the pixels just slammed back together again because mm. they reversed the footage. Also, whenever he like looked up the file on somebody... Um, it was always on like a bright pink or bright blue screen where you see a picture of them and then you'd see text about them. Mm-hmm. The text, I took some screen caps and I don't want to read you some of the text <laughs> on here because like, do. oh my God. Okay, so there's a character, Constance Grayson is uh, Chaz Grayson's wife, the wife mm-hmm. of the head of the company. And when he looks her up on his computer, uh, there's, a, there's a picture of the actress. There are two big words, Constance Grayson, in a big orange field. The next two words says that her real name is Sonia Dykeman. She's a supervisor. Gibberish, gibberish, gibberish. Weighs 45 grams. <laughs> gibberish. Born on date 5487.95. Female. Likes eating too much. Gibberish, gibberish, gibberish. Holy shit. This, this is 96, by the way, so she's 11. Yeah. Um, then there's a point when a reporter in a later episode is looking up Jim Prophet and she sees that he has an alias. One of the aliases he had is, is Fred Flintstone. Another one, here's what it says about him. Name, Brian Moylan. Position, chief guy. Chief guy. <laughs> other. And this is just like an other with a colon at the end mm. of it. So implies this. this so, name, Brian Moylan. Position, chief guy. Other. No other. Statistics. Whatever comes up. <laughs> it's like they knew, like they didn't think t- pausing technology would ever bite them in the ass. Well, they never it's, thought it's, anyone would see this again. It's weird because this was 1996. The VHS market was huge. People were freeze framing now. Yeah. Like we knew what that was about. You know, there was a possibility. This, this, like, this it's was weird that you it wasn't didn't think out, that, Yeah, it wasn't out of the realm. So clearly they're just banging on a computer to bang this thing yeah, out. It was just really, really, really mm-hmm. sad and funny. Um, so, oh, and the other character we haven't even talked about uh, Gale? is Gale. I love Gale. Gale. Gale is played by Lisa Dar, one of three Lisas who was a protagonist on this show. 
Uh, and Le- she, yeah, Lisa Dart, Lisa Blount, Lisa Zane. She was a character actress. Uh, she was on. She was in the movie Gods and Monsters. Mm-hmm. She was on The Flash, Ellen, Weeds, uh, and she plays a woman who, in like the s- first scene of the first episode of Prophet. Profit blackmails because she's been embezzling just a little bit of the company, like a few hundred dollars a month, to help take care of her invalid mother. Mm. And Profit uses that to force her to ha- hand people fake memos mm. and um, pretend that she's someone's lover in order to get them fired. But she she's doing so awkwardly and against her will. She, mm-hmm. if there is a moral character, she's it. And uh, yet. Uh, but she's willing to go along with it because she's being blackmailed. And yeah. as the show progresses, there is one episode. I wouldn't say as it progresses, but there's one episode where she is allowed to be despicable as well. I think she starts to enjoy being a little despicable. Mm-hmm. When Prophet tells her to do something, she does it. Mm-hmm. And it gets to the point where it's not even because he's lording anything over her. I think she actually is starting to enjoy, like, there's an episode where she pretends to be a New York City publicist. Yes. And she is enjoying the role. <laughs> she's having fun. Well, like, she, she's actually, like, I think she's a little bit more corruptible mm-hmm. than she's willing to admit that she is. And I think if the series had regressed, we would have seen her become just as bad as Prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we, we're really getting far from the episode. So, uh, we talked about the pilot. Second episode is where uh, the seemingly nice guy, Jack Walters, gets framed for a murder no one committed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the third episode, we meet Sykes, who's the altruist, and we talk to the Russian mobsters. Uh, and then in episode four, which was the last episode that aired before the show got canceled. And it's easy to see why, because it's stupid. It's stupid and it's gross. Uh, it is an episode in which uh, Joanne well, and the, Prophet here, are... Here's, hold on. Okay. Just, just to give the setup. Joanne and Jim uh, are working together. They obviously hate each other. She wants him fired. She'll tell anyone who will listen that he killed his own father. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, Chaz decides uh, that they're both going to take lie detector tests. And whichever one is lying, he'll just fire them. Mm. He doesn't care who it is. He just wants this over. Uh, and in order to manipulate her and to change the situation, uh, Prophet blackmails her psychiatrist into hypnotizing her, into and, hating Prophet so much people question her sanity. Mm-hmm. And then... Which, uh, which is a weird tactic, but all it's right. It's a weird, weird tactic. His brain works in insidious ways. Uh, and then, on top of that... Uh, he blackmails the guy again because it turns out he has been raping his clients and then having them institutionalized to hide it. Mm. Um, he has him, he, he has a psychiatrist institutionalize her so that Prophet can rescue her. And she'll realize that she was being completely paranoid about Prophet and that there's no way he went to all that trouble. And then she realizes, oh shit, yeah, no, he did all of that stuff. It, it's such a stupid plan. <laughs> it's a uh, really okay. crazy, ridiculous plan. <laughs> The, the psychiatrist is is ig- exemplary of what this show is about. We're introduced to a new character mm. in this show pretty re- regularly. It's a couple new characters every and, uh, episode. And every single one of them has dirt. And mm. that's kind of the point of the show, is that somebody enters into this and they're not a clean slate. Mm. Uh, and somehow Prophet all, like, knows what it is immediately or finds it out immediately, whatever mm. their dirt is. Like without having to do too much digging, it's like, oh, yeah. and I found these records, and now I know you're hypnotizing your your clients and raping them. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a you model have a really for. Chair. I'm sorry, it's a it's, okay. it's a model for you know the moral of the show, but 
it also makes the show really predictable very quickly. Mm. Fair enough. Well, in any case, by the end of episode five, everyone hates everyone. Nothing is resolved. Uh, Prophet has a way to manipulate a lie detector test by like he like, jam- jams a nail in his shoe, and, and like yeah. every time he steps on the nail, that somehow alters the outcome of a lie detector. Well, that test. actually is there actually is some truth to that because a lie detector test doesn't know the difference between the truth or a lie. It mm. just knows that it judges what the happens to your body. Yeah, you, know? you know what when you're lying. You're doing something wrong, and that changes like your pulse, or something happens. It changes the mm. it it measures the changes in your body. So if you are able to do something to your body that makes it completely indistinguishable from when you're lying and when you're not, there's a reason lie detectors aren't admissible in court, and that's mm. why. Um, so they both pass the lie detector test. Since neither of them were lying, he lets them all stay. At some point. People just need to fucking fire this guy. <laughs> like, there's a couple. There's like at the end of the first episode, that guy, well, the, the prof- guy Jack the- Walters, is Prophet's boss, and rather than just fire Prophet, he decides to keep his enemies closer. Oh and then God. within one episode, he's in jail for murder. Well, and if, if there were scenes of Prophet doing whatever it is his business does well. If we got to see him actually do things apart from scheming, mm-hmm. if we actually just got to see that he was a capable dude who did his job well, did his job exemp- in an exemplary fashion, yeah. then we could understand why they would keep him around. Well, and they but do talk about this. All whenever the characters they, whenever are, they give him a task, he does do it. But the characters are so busy scheming, and even when he does a task, he does it in such a roundabout, weird, schemery fashion that we don't get the sense that he's doing anything other than plotting against people, mm-hmm. and he's not actually making a living. <laughs> he seems like, to have he's, a lot of money. Like, he's, he buys a $200,000 apartment in the first episode. He's, he's like, very rich. You're making a lot of money, dude. He dresses well. He lives yeah. well. He's mm-hmm. confident and cocky. He's told he's good at his job, but we never see him really doing his job. Well, what's it, we talked about this in some... What show did we talk about this? When we talk about uh, shows in which people have jobs, we never see him do it. Mm. Um, it might have been guilt. I'm trying to remember what, what it was. Um, that happens a lot. People have a job. We accept that they have a job, yeah. but the job might not be the most interesting thing. Here the job but, but is it's, the most it's, interesting thing. Say, it, and it, it takes place in the office. We need to see, if it takes place in the office, they need to see what happens in that office. It's just every once in a while he'll come in with a piece of paperwork for someone to sign, and the implication yeah. is he was just doing paperwork. But like yeah. half the time yeah. someone walks into the room, and he's standing there with his, like, his fingers pointed together like Monty Burns. Just and, sort and of just... just Quietly scheming. You can tell he's a bad guy because he wears the black gloves a lot. Yeah, and, and you can tell the Foley guy loved it because he just go. He's got this crinkling every time black he, gloves. Every time he squeaks. Um, the first hey, you want to get lunch? Oh, I know a way we can get lunch. <laughs> I can blackmail the chef. Until it's like, no, just go get lunch. Jeez. So that was the end of Profit uh, on television uh, until it was aired on the cable station Trio Mm. uh, in 2002. And then later on in 2005, it was finally released in the complete series on DVD from Anchor Bay. That is still out of print. However, it's not terribly hard to find and not super expensive if you're intrigued and want to check it out. You can can get it cheap on Amazon. You can get it for like 25 bucks or something. Um, and it's a good set. Uh, it's got a lot of commentaries, uh, some like an hour-long behind-the-scenes feature. Mm-hmm. Everyone's obviously very, very proud of the show. Uh, so from here on, there's only four episodes left. Episode five is Cupid. Cupid is disgusting. Well, Cupid. Bobby decides to go after Chaz, mm-hmm. who is married to a lesbian. 
Meanwhile, uh, Jim Prophet is trying to acquire. She wants to marry. She wants to marry him and be be wealthy and comfortable. She doesn't love him or even lust after him. She just wants to marry a rich man, Mm -hmm. uh, as is her stated goal. I love Bobby because she is unapologetic about that, and she really enjoys everything she does, and she's also dressed very well. <laughs> the customers actually had fun well, with her at, costumes. At least Blount is just funny and sexy and yeah, great. Yeah, she's yeah. just a great so, actress. Uh, me, yeah, meanwhile, Jim Prophet is in charge of a nightclub, and he's yeah. staging this weird stalker scheme. They're buying like a, like a, to, like a chain of nightclubs, mm. uh, and the owners of the nightclub were married... They separated. And now uh, they need both their signatures and he's balking. He's balking because uh, she won't come back to him. Mm. And she won't come back to him because he's stalking her, or at least she thinks he is. So Prophet tries to manipulate the situation so that she thinks someone else is stalking her, even though he has no way of knowing that her husband isn't actually a maniac. (laughs) Um. And here's this is an episode that really solidifies an issue the show had that I don't think people talked about at the time, but now seems really punishingly obvious. This show has a grim view of women. Oh, absolutely. This show is really is really is really mean to women. Women well, it's, are it's women mean. are manipulated. Uh. Women are used. Women are condescended to. Uh, women well, the, are the, are playthings for men, and in a way that doesn't feel like a commentary, it feels like, and that's just the way it is, man. And it's gross. Well, I don't think it's, it's I don't think it's any grosser than anything else on the show. Uh, this is no, takes place in the world of yuppies. It's mm-hmm. all men in charge. There are no high-powered female executives in charge of Grayson and Grayson. Well, uh, the head of security uh, is a woman to in all fairness. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, when when we meet a woman who is outside of the company, she's either an innocent to be corrupted, uh-huh. uh, a victim of some sort or or another maniac. Uh, another maniac. So uh, but if all if there were some male characters who are also kind of innocent, this would play a little bit more balanced that mm-hmm. all of those innocent characters are women. Yeah, definitely sexist. Mm-hmm. But it takes place in a misogynist <clears throat> milieu. And uh, <laughs> This isn't the B-Movies podcast. You don't have to take a drink every time you say milieu. So I, I, I don't think this was some sort of ugliness creeping in in from the creators. This wasn't misogyny on the part of the writers. This was well, miso- no, certain- misogyny as being folded into this world. It was just I, it, it, I a, a dramatic construct. I'll take some issue with that. Mm-hmm. I, I think there was misogyny on the part of the creators, but I don't think it was a self-aware misogyny. I don't think that they were like, I'm going to be misogynist. Mm-hmm. I think they just created a show with a lot of misogyny in it mm-hmm. and didn't think to maybe not do that or at least find some way to take the uh, take the edge off of it so it didn't seem oh, the, really because they watch it today I think the character, it feels really mean the character of like Bobby, meaner than it needs to be the character of Bobby has enough agency and Lisa Zane's character have, has enough agency that this is what a strong woman was in 90s TV mm-hmm. so I think that was sort of their their get out of jail free card in terms of misogyny I'm, at the time I think it doesn't play terribly well it's, for that I mean like, Actually, like a lot of things in Profit it's t- terribly dated but uh, yeah I, th- I think it, it wasn't so uh, as insidious as you say. Well, let's talk about the next. Oh, because at the end of this episode, um, mm. like they get they seal the deal, and uh, uh, she gets back with her husband. But it turns out her husband's still a maniac, and mm. they expose that he had killed his previous wife, and the dude fucking kills himself. Yeah, we <laughs> uh, episode six, mm. uh, co-starring the great John Hawks. 
Yes. John Hawks, a young, young, sexy criminal John Hawks. Yeah, with like vibrant hair, like just glorious mane of hair. Uh, he plays a cyber genius who has invented the Ultra Chip, which mm. is basically that thing from Sneakers that could hack into anything. Yeah, but except his doesn't work. Um, and he has by, been, by design. Well, no, uh, not well, by, he, he, by design he, of the writers, not he, by design of him. Well, he, he didn't he, do it on purpose. He oh, I got the impression it. that he did, that he, he wasn't able to do it, so he just sort of let people assume that he had for a long time. Oh, no, he, he did let them assume he had, but mm. he didn't not make it work on purpose. He oh, tried okay. to make it work, and he couldn't. Um, John Hawks plays a, a character who, uh, he's got this ultra chip that everyone wants. Uh, Grayson and Grayson is trying to divest themselves from a Chinese company uh, that has some illegal dealings and they need to do it fast and they need to do it uh, and they need the Chinese to agree to do it without their like $100 million kill fee. So they say they'll only do it if profit gets them the ultra chip that John Hawks was creating for the U.S. Uh, Defense Department. And if he does that, he's committing treason. So... Turns out that John Hawks' character was fired from Grayson and Grayson for sexually harassing Gail, Gail mm-hmm. Prophet's uh, uh, secretary, so, whom Prophet had been blackmailing this whole time. So Prophet convinces Gail to get revenge, essentially. No, well, not initially. He doesn't even tell her that part. He doesn't tell her mm-hmm. about revenge. He's just like, hey, yeah, um, it would help my career, Gail. If you went back to this guy who you had basically take to court to get out of your life and say you want to fuck him. And Gail's like, I don't want to do that. And well, he's but he, like, he says, no, no, it's okay. We'll get him in the end. That was the implication. He doesn't but... tell her how or anything. Well, no. She, he keeps saying, trust me to Gail. And I'm like, Gail, you have literally no reason to trust him. Like, he's he's not a very... Uh, uh, a scrupulous when, man. When when he ob- obfuscates his plans like that, it, it seems like the writers don't know yet. <laughs> it's like they're, they're they're just sort of figuring it out. Like they're starting on page one. They're, they haven't come up with the plot before they started writing down. They're just sort of going scene by scene. Yeah. So uh, we know he's up to something right. when he suggests this. He's not of course, just going to throw her back into the arms of this dude out of spite. Right. He has, he has a purpose to all of his, his immoral behavior. Right. So she goes into the dude's like incredibly secure house, which is full of like giant Humpty Dumpty statues. Like it's super creepy. The dude takes a popper, which if you've ever seen the movie Hannibal, it's like this, you know, weird inhalant drug. Yeah. He tries to rape her. She slams his head on a desk, finds out the chip doesn't work. Convinces him they had sex, mm. and then he comes into the office saying, "I know what you did." And Prophet basically blackmails him, and then instead of giving the chip to the Chinese, he gives the chip that doesn't work back to the Defense Department in the guise of, "And I was helping you all along, mm. aren't I, an amazing American citizen?" And they say, "We're going to give you a citation, Mister Prophet," <laughs> which I guess is good. And um, I'm pretty sure I've had a citation and it meant something bad once, but whatever. Well, you, you got like a parking citation. Yeah, I got a parking citation. I'm not sure a citation is always good. And uh, meanwhile, uh, in order to appease the Chinese and get them to extricate themselves from Grayson and Grayson without a kill fee, he gives them John Hawks. And they tie him to a chair. And put him in a shipping crate. Put him in a shipping crate and inject him with a paralyzing agent and just ship him to China. Yep. The end. It's fucked up. 
That's <laughs> what that is. There's a lot of fucked up in this damn thing. Uh, and then there's uh, episode seven, Security. Mm-hmm. This is the one with the sexy reporter. The sexy reporter mm-hmm. uh, who uh, Prophet is sleeping with. And he's sleeping with her because he knows she's a reporter and he knows he can manipulate her. And, of course, she's going to try to manipulate him. Oh, what's going to happen? Prophet turns out okay. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah, skip right to the yeah. end. Uh, there's a lot of this episode where it's just like, oh, maybe she's going to put a fast one over on Prophet. And by episode seven, you're just like, nah, he's going to be fine. And he ends up, like, blackmailing her boss to fire her, change her article that was an expose about Profit and Grayson and Grayson's illegal dealings, so that it's all about how amazing Grayson and Grayson is and leave her byline on it. And um, that's basically that. There's really not a lot to that one, honestly. What, was Am I missing something? I mean, like, was there more going on? There's, the, 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 le- the lesbian affair. Oh, right. Uh, so Chaz is in a... Chaz's marriage it has a prenuptial agreement that basically whoever decides to file for divorce gives up all financial rights to the, mm. to the marriage. So Chaz doesn't want to have a divorce to be with Bobby, Lisa Blount's character. Uh, so Lisa Blount seduces Chaz's wife mm. so that she will leave Chaz and it works. At well, some it, point you have to think they're going to they're going to find out about that. She's going to see that like her husband is now married to the well, lesbian I, I she was, was dating, right? I was kind of hoping that she would carry on affairs with both of them and they would just never be in the room with their mistress at the same time, <laughs> leading to that hilarious Three's Company episode. <laughs> Or you just uh, like run across the restaurant from one table to the next, and you know, yeah. no, sadly that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, also, by this point, uh, Pete, mm. uh, who is sobered up and is working, but with, who is trying to trick people into thinking he's still an alcoholic, so that no one will suspect that he's plotting a hostile takeover with his uncle, who uh, uncle-in-law, uh, uncle-in-law, who the his, uncle of his, his wife. wife's uncle, who uh, has only been referred to in dialogue until this episode. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out that that uncle mm. molested Pete's wife when she was twelve. When she was twelve, and she, as if that makes it better, but like no, or worse. Like it's it's always horrible. It's like it's disgusting. This business deal could fix a lot of her problems and a lot of everybody's problems, but she has to let this molester, who she's just sort of now coming to to. Well, not, he was not, out not of her life. With, she was writing him out of her life. She well, was just she, not dealing with the situation. She, she's she's at a point where she has to deal with it and confront it. Is is my point? Yeah. Uh, right when this guy's about to come back into her life and take over the company, uh, and we meet him. He's still a pervert. He's, yeah, he's despicable. He felt that what he was doing was right. This is actually very yeah. common for child molesters. He, he thinks uh, it's romantic. Mm-hmm. He says, "Well, why do they have to grow up? It's so sad." And you just want to. Like reach into the screen like a nightmare cafe and just <laughs> strangle him to death. Uh, he's he's like the worst, most horrible human being on a show that is filled almost entirely with horrible human I, beings. I, I don't want to strangle him because that sort of villainous child molester is used so often in television shows. You, uh, you, still, you don't want to strangle him? I still want to strangle him. <laughs> uh, just because it's not, a trope doesn't mean it's not disgusting. Not if they're cheap, dramatic constructs no, like he's, that. He's but, still, uh, he still did that thing. He's still a monster. Prophet decides to uh, tempt him with a little treat, who is this Girl Scout that he manages to cull from the neighborhood. Well, because he's trying to and get... And he's trying to butter him up so he can alter the deal to well, his own uh, actually, but what he's his actually, own means. But, but to be fair, what he's actually doing is he's trying to... He's actually kind of helping Nora 
it serves his own goals, but he's actually like, because she just can't bring herself to deal with it. She can't mm-hmm. bring herself to do anything about this horrible monster. And so by having her see that this is a cycle that will continue, this wasn't just her, mm-hmm. that maybe this guy will actually continue doing these horrible and disgusting things, um, she's put in a position to stop him. And it turns out that Prophet actually, like, poisons the guy with, like, chemicals that he's, like, allergic to. Mm. And it, she just lets him die. One, one of, one of uh, his, his villainous things, rather than stroking his Persian cat, is eating strawberries very lasciviously. But he has to eat organic strawberries because the pesticides we use on uh, mm. fruits and vegetables uh, in the Western world, uh, he's actually deathly allergic to. Um, so Prophet replaces his good organic strawberries with cheap store-bought <laughs> strawberries, good. and his throat starts to close up. And Nora just says, yeah, I'm just going to watch. You know, you know that scene where he's actually, like, sussing out the strawberries, like which ones he's going to poison? He has Gale bring in, like, a, I'm not sure if it's a silver tray, but it's like a plate with two baskets of strawberries on it. Yeah. And it's like he rubs his hands together, grabs them, and then just, like, switches their position <laughs> on the plate. It's like... Why do you, why did you need two versions of straw? Were you testing something? Were you scraping the pesticides well, off of one? He's gotta I mean, like put the one strawberry in the other package. Yeah, he's gotta do that. I, like I, he's gotta like at least do that. I suppose so. It was just such, such a weird stagey thing it's to an do. Awkward stagey. There's a lot of weird stagey shit. Like uh, Bobby is a heroin addict, and mm. when we see the needle she uses, it's like a cartoon syringe. It's like it's well, like it's, three times larger than a typical syringe. What it is? It's a cardiac needle. Yeah, the kind they used not, in, the kind they used in Pulp Fiction, which is not what you use to shoot heroin. No, it's not. You don't. That's that's totally ridiculous. Unless it's, it's you're shooting comical. heroin directly into your heart. It's yeah. hilarious. Oh, there's like a bit where um, he's adding this chemical that will make it look. We told you like he um, he frames this guy Jack Walters mm. for a murder that didn't happen, and everyone thinks this murder was committed using a chemical that makes it look like he had a heart attack. Turns out the guy just actually had a heart attack. So Prophet hires a prostitute to distract the mortician, mm. so Prophet can sneak in and then add some of the chemical to the tissue samples, and he's. Soaks the tissue samples. It's like, it's like, like he like, squeezes out this gigantic t- toothpaste the, tube the, full of chemical. The guy yeah. must have, the, the mortician must think the guy drowned in heart attack medicine. Like, how did we miss this? It, the whole body must have smelled like it's insane. But again, it's my point. I, I think they totally pulled away all subtlety in mm. order to make a story that I think they're probably afraid would be a little dry and just make it as lurid and nuts as possible. But I think in making it as lurid and as nuts as possible, it loses most of its dramatic power. It's an irony, to be sure. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with Prophet is that it's fascinating what it was trying to do. And when it does mm. it well, when it's actually like has you wringing your hands, oh, how is Prophet going to get out of this one? Mm. Even though you know he's a monster. When it does that, and it does that, I'd say, a couple of times an episode. Like, it gets me a couple of times. Um, It's great. It's (laughs) truly great. Like, it really, I can see why people were really celebrating this. And even though it was uh, uh, a mixed bag, um, certainly this was something to be encouraged Mm. at the time. These are the sort of chances we wanted TV to take at a time when TV wasn't taking a lot of chances. Yeah. Um, But... When it's not, it's really kind of a dumb show. It's, no, well, here's, here's, it's the kind of dumb show, however, and as much as I've been slamming it, it's unbelievably watchable. Oh, it's really fun. All of the overacting is 
you know, it's it's awful and it's awkward and it's mawkish, but it is so fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, just watching everybody really dig your teeth in, and you know, it's a t- it's a show that you would go back to week after week after week, not because you liked it, just mm-hmm. because you kind of enjoy how nutty it is. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it it despite how lurid it is, like soap operas, it starts to feel like comfort food. I'm going to go back into this moral world because it's kind of a great way to unwind at the end of the night. It's not something that's actually delving into the actual amorality of the characters. That kind of show wouldn't have an impact until Cable started doing it and they could actually start cussing and showing the sex and violence. Mm -hmm. Uh, On network TV, it's toothless soap opera junk. And it's watchable, fun, toothless soap opera junk. Mm. I think it has some teeth on it. I think Mm. think when the show... Like, once they get into the whole child molester plot... Mm. It's really twisted, and I think that's really – it really doesn't feel safe. Like It feels like there's a lot of dangerous I've seen, directions the story was going. There's a lot more teeth in your average episode of Law & Order SVU. Well, he, here, yeah, that, but, but Law & Order SVU wasn't on the air yet. I suppose not. Yeah, this, wasn't this was, it? Didn't it start SVU? around this time? I think SVU started around this time, I don't think – I think SVU was – you look that up. SVU yeah. was – I think was a while later. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the show ends uh, with the Graysons. Uh, the hostile takeover doesn't come together because Jack finds out about the uncle's horrible past. Uh, the Grayson family comes together. Prophet um, – I don't think he's given the job, but he's sort of accepted as a vital component of the Grayson family. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like they give – like Bobby is going to marry Chaz. Uh, Pete and Nora are back together. Uh, Prophet is like saluted at a family party, and then like five minutes later, he's having sex with his stepmother while everyone else is celebrating. Um, and it seems like everything's okay, except turns out. Uh, that, oh, you're right. SVU didn't start until '99. Yes, yeah, so we're a few years out from that. Mm. Um, it turns out that Joanne and Sykes, who have been continuing to investigate Prophet, and this is sort of like the cliffhanger, mm. find out that Prophet isn't Jim Prophet. And not only was he born Bobby uh, Stokowski, or Jim Prophet, Pete, Pete, Pete Stokowski, yeah. sorry. He not always born Pete Stokowski. Uh, Jim Prophet is a real guy. There is a, he stole the identity of a real Jim Prophet. And at the end of the episode, they say, hey, I found somebody who knows the real Jim Prophet. Yeah, well, Joanne is in like Ireland and yeah. finds him. Like he's from Ireland, I guess. Uh, she's in a country. I'm not sure if they stay, which, say it's which country it is. It's they Ireland. Say it's Ireland, they say it. It, they say she's in a phone booth though, but it says telephone without an e. I'm not sure if that's Gaelic or what, but it, it yeah. looks like super fakey, yeah. quote European language. And again, um, if you if you watch Mad Men, yeah, the people who who made Mad Men, yeah, saw which profit. <laughs> which is one of the big reveals in Mad Men. It turns yeah. out he stole somebody else's identity and was yeah. living as a high powered businessman under this man's name. Yeah. Uh, okay. So so the film the show is called Profit. Yes. It's about acquisition and yuppies. Yeah. And the character's name is also Prophet. That's stupid. That is stupid. But we learn (laughs) in the first episode that he changed his name to Prophet. Okay, so you're an ambitious businessman and you want to change your name to something that sounds businessy. Okay, I'm going to change my last name to Prophet. He was raised on television. Subtlety is not a strong suit. (laughs) Nothing subtle about the show. So we can kind of accept that he would choose the name Prophet for himself. That he stole the identity of somebody who was already a pre-existing person named Jim Prophet is super dumb. Kevin Spacey played a character with the last name Prophet on a show called Wise Guys. Mm. Uh, or Wise Guy. And uh, <laughs> it turns out that was actually like sort of like an intentional homage to that show. So like so the the, the cherry had already been popped and how stupid that was. <laughs> um so what would have happened? Mm. If profit had lasted, and for once we don't have to speculate, 
because if you listen to the commentary tracks, okay. they'll tell you. Okay. It's actually really great. I didn't get to listen to the, pro- the uh, commentary I listened to them originally, uh, and I remember a lot of it, but fortunately someone also wrote them down online. Uh, so here's what was supposed to happen mm. in the second season and beyond of Profit. In the next episode, the first episode of the second season, Joanne, uh, who was calling Sykes from a phone booth, mm. the phone booth explodes oh, and she's killed. Oh there was a bomb planted there by the IRA and it was done at the behest of Prophet. <laughs> oh, I see. The show yeah. was going to get stupider. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out the quote unquote real Jim Prophet is in a coma after he was drowned by by the prophet we've come to know and love, mm-hmm. and uh, prophet would return to finish killing off the real guy. Uh, prophet has a tendency to kill people and then not finish the job and have to do it again later. It happened with mm-hmm. his father. Mm-hmm. He set his father on fire. Thought he did the thought he finished him off. Years later, had to do it again. Um, Chaz has a heart attack while running on his treadmill due to a mild poison. Prophet slipped into his water bottle. Prophet eventually convinces Chaz that his father, the chairman of the board of directors, who we haven't actually met in this show, mm. probably would become a character in season two, is trying to kill him. Prophet engineers the death of Chaz and Pete Grayson's father. This is all from the Wikipedia page. To help the two brothers reconcile their differences, eliminate a troublemaker on G&G's board of directors, and help tighten Prophet's control over the company. Another storyline would have involved Prophet getting a current senator drunk to the point of blackout, staging a car accident, and convincing the senator that he had killed someone, which is also kind of a subplot in The Godfather Part 2. Well, uh, it also happened to Ted Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. These events probably led into a related storyline, which they did also talked about, uh, in which Pete would actually become a senator. He'd like become a Kennedy. He'd actually mm-hmm. like... Yeah, so there you go. Speaking of Kennedys. Also, Pete and Nora would have gotten a divorce. Uh, I believe they also mentioned at one point, although I didn't re-listen to the commentary tracks uh, when we did this show, um, that they talked about the idea of after uh, Profit went into politics, where would we go from there? And they said, maybe the music industry. (laughs) And it would basically become like that show Empire. Um, And uh, that's basically it. It just would have been just Profit doing more twisted shit. So they ran out of ideas real fast, in other words. Um, (laughs) The the question now hangs in the air. Was Profit canceled too soon? Oh, I would say yes. Profit was definitely canceled too soon. I wanted to see where this was going. Like I wanted to see this show fall. Because here's the thing. When when shows fall apart, often when they fall apart um in in on network television and like back in the day, they would just get crazier yeah. and weirder and they just get dumber and dumber ideas. With profit, we already started crazy. Mm. Where the fuck? I think like, this show is going to go nuts after a while. I, I think that since they started at such a fever pitch, watching them go even crazier wouldn't have any effect, though. I th- I don't think it would be even nuttier and stranger. It would all feel kind of the same. It's like oh, and now he now he murders a senator. Okay, now he's now he's eating children. You know, wh- whatever it is he's doing. It's just going to feel of a piece with everything else because it can't get so... You can tell from the eight episodes we saw that they can't get so wild under the strictures of uh, network television. Yeah. And so they're, they're always kind of holding back a little bit. They can only get so crazy on network TV. They can have them do wild stuff, but we can't really depict it and we can't get... We can't go to where you think... Where you said you think the show is going to go. Okay. So, so are you arguing that it wasn't canceled too it soon? It wasn't canceled too soon. This, this is what it needed to be? It was and it wasn't. 
because like I said, this this is so enjoyable, mm-hmm. even though it's bad, that continuing to come to this show time and again after 10 years, 11 years, one of those, like if it entered that Walker, Texas Ranger territory where it just sort of hangs around on the air, even though nobody you know seems to be watching it. Yeah. Then I would be kind of accepting of it. Right. But I don't think it would ever amount to anything great. That's fair. Um, I I don't think it would culminate or emerge as some sort of serious examination of the world of business or morality. I think it would just be another. I don't think it had anything prudent to say. It it, it, it had no ambitions beyond, wow, isn't this a crazy story? I think it was trying to say something about. Amorality and how it can be used as a tool for success, but I think that Maybe, hang on, but right I think right. that that point mm-hmm. is made perfectly well in the pilot. Yeah, like, it's, you, it's, we don't need that. We don't need a whole television series to explore th- that. That's the you way know? you pitch the show. That's yeah. not. That's not what you need ten years worth of TV to explore. No, I, I can't imagine. Okay, so, when I say it was canceled too soon, I don't think it should have lasted a hundred episodes. But I do think it had a couple of good seasons. Okay, I think, it I, think I would have liked to have seen it move into politics. All right. I think one more season well, I think into that, politics, and then maybe one more season uh, getting Pete Grayson elected president would actually have been pretty cool. I think that would be a, a different show. I think well, it's a national evolution, if, though. Maybe it's because, well, what, because what we know about is done only can in business. What if he moves into another field? What we know about the way uh, big moneyed business and politics and like education, the way those worlds kind of rotate around one another now, post two thousand eight economic crash, yeah. that would have made more sense in nineteen ninety six. That wouldn't have been a natural evolution, maybe not necessarily, or it would have been. But once you move into the world of politics, the show becomes a political thriller and not the show about an amoral businessman. It becomes a different show entirely and you may as well just do a different show at that point but i don't need to see hang on jim profit doing that i need to see somebody i need to see kevin spacey and house of cards doing david greenwald producer of the show also Mm. worked on angel angel did that okay uh there were four seasons of angel angel was a vampire right and profit isn't a supervillain my point is if you start with the character as a vampire you can do more because started, that's a fantasy character you started with Prophet as a fucking supervillain like it's mm. fine like if there was a supervillain named Prophet who did all this stuff and it just happened to exist in the same world as Spider-Man mm. we would accept it he'd be the kingpin it's fine mm. like I just think that's that's fine but like in Angel there were four seasons of Angels are like a private detective and dealing with a whole bunch of demons in Los Angeles and like a lot of them were represented by this you know literally hellish law firm mm. the end of season four the law firm says you know what Angel you win take the law firm okay. like, what you're in charge of a law firm now. You can do that? Yes. <laughs> and then Angel became in charge of a law firm, and it became a supernatural legal show. Nice. And it was fun. Okay. It actually worked. Because so I think it's possible to change directions mm. as long as the characters are consistent. Okay. And I think it could have worked. I'm not saying it would have. Mm, yeah. I think it could have. And I think it would have been interesting to see it try. Um, I, there's a question I wanted to ask you. Mm. I saw Profit when it was on. Okay. I read the review and this glowing review in the LA Times, and and I was in high school at the time. I was like a freshman. Yep. I was watching Nowhere Man, and I had the choice of watching Profit or Nowhere Man. Oh and well, Nowhere, that's an easy choice, but yeah. <laughs> well, Nowhere 
Nowhere Man was like halfway through season one of Nowhere Man. Nowhere Man was already getting kind of stupid. Like mm-hmm. they were also doing their own virtual reality episodes. Like it was kind of weird. Uh, Nowhere Man is also another show we're going to do on this series at oh, some for point. Sure, yeah. Nowhere Man was a great show starring Bruce Greenwood as a photographer who took a photograph he wasn't supposed to and then went to the bathroom one day, came out, and, and no his, one remembered and, and his, who he was. His, ident- his entire identity was gone. It was really creepy. It was a, like a really creepy version of The Fugitive. And it was when it was great, it, it, it was great. When it was, it was lame, like, it was just another show. It, it was like The Fugitive meets The Prisoner. Like yeah. it was that kind of tone. Really, really did have that prisoner vibe. So Nowhere Man had started getting kind of stupid. So so I moved over to Profit, and I watched Profit for all four episodes. I was pissed off when it was canceled. It was one of the first shows that got canceled too soon that made me mad, and eventually led to me wanting to do this show. And then there was only one episode of Nowhere Man left, and I had missed so fucking much. It was a tragedy. <laughs> Did you only just see Profit now? Like yeah, I, I had only heard of Profit a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my wife was a big fan. She bought the videos, but I never actually watched them. Oh, okay. And then she sold the videos because yeah. she didn't watch them either. So, uh, so Unfortunately, I still had mine. So you, you had yours, and I borrowed your videos. And yeah, yeah I, I watched this show, and I have no nostalgia for it. Um, yeah. I was about to graduate high school. I was interested in other things at the time. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, just it, it escaped my attention. I was a huge fan of Profit. I was really glad when it came out on DVD so I could finally see what the fuck happened. Um, and, as, and as it turns out, it was canceled midstream. So yeah, well, but it was the the season ended. Like that was the ending of the season. It was, that like, was the ending of the it season. It was a mid-season replacement. It was done. That was, that was it. It, it the, ended happily for him on, on a cliffhanger with like with the cliffhanger. It, it the ended day. the same as any other episode. There was no, there was no super cliffhanger. It ended ended with the Grayson family coming together. It ended with, it ended with Mm. that company no longer full of inner internal turmoil, and Mm. Prophet actually situated in a position in which everyone there, except for Joanne and Sykes, liking him and actually accepting him. He got what he wanted, basically. I didn't that was, see that as an ending, though. That was I just where he was at that point. No, it was it was, it was played played so badly. It felt no. like they no, it felt it like they didn't know they were going to be canceled, and they had plans for the next episode, and no. they just that was it. That was that was the season. That was it. Oh, that was, that's terrible. Oh, I thought it worked fine. <laughs> I actually kind of liked it, but um, but I was a big fan, and okay. um, I was working at Barnes and Noble. In the West Side Pavilion in Los Angeles, it's a furniture store now because, of course, it is. Mm. Fucking books. And um, who who cares? No, as it as it turns out, that Barnes and Noble was doing fine. It was a, a rent dispute. I I looked oh, into it. Oh, was it really? It. Yeah, because oh, okay, I liked that bookstore. That bookstore was great. It was a three story Barnes and Noble. It was great. I worked there for about a year. And um, every once in a while, a celebrity would come in. You know, mm. someone like John Landis showed up at one point, or uh, 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 and then one one time, mm. and I, I normally never said anything. It was rude, okay. but everyone got one. Like every person who employed there is just like, can I, can I just geek out once? Yeah, just don't be a dick about it. Okay, it's mm. fine. Adrian Pazdar is there. Okay, and I just had to say it. I was like, dude, you were fucking awesome in profit. And nice. he was like, thank you. No, he said, thank you. Yeah, no, I was always In the very, prophet voice. Well, he, he kind of does talk like that. Like, he, he exaggerated <laughs> it slightly, but he does have a kind of a, you know, this mm. awesome, sneaky voice. And um, 
And I just told him, and he was nice. Mm. He was a very nice person. We talked for like a minute. <laughs> and uh, just to say, I appreciate the show. And he was like, thank you. We really liked making that show. And it's always nice when people say they liked it. And that was cool. And I, walked, I was sort of walked away with a jaunt in my step. Like, haha, I talked to Adrian Pazdar. Nice. And I was like, dude, did you see that? I just talked to Adrian Pazdar. And everyone's just like, you mean that guy with the Dixie chick? Yeah. And it turns out they were geeking out because Adrian Pazdar married, married, like one, a, of the, married one of the Dixie married, chicks. Married one of the Dixie chicks. And every, no one knew who James Pastor or Adrian Pastor was. This was like right around the time Heroes was coming out. So they hadn't seen him in like a really popular show again. Yeah, okay. Um, but that's my one little dumb anecdote. It's just, it was a funny <laughs> thing because I didn't know who the, I knew of the Dixie Chicks. I wouldn't mm. recognize a Dixie Chick if they punched me in the face. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But apparently she was, apparently she, she seemed amused <laughs> that someone recognized him and not her. Apparently I, it doesn't I, uh, happen too often. <laughs> I have a, a, a similar-ish story. Uh, when I was working at the New Art Theater, um, celebrities came there as well. And yeah. w- one of the regulars actually was Matt Greening. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he came there rather frequently at a, at, at a period. And uh, we were all kind of used to seeing him at one point. So, you know, Matt Greening would come in first times like, oh, Matt Greening, he created The Simpsons. That's my favorite show because it's everybody's favorite show. And sure. uh, after a while, it's just Matt, just a guy. Just it's a like, dude. oh, there he is. He's there with his two yeah. kids and he's seeing another movie. And uh, after I'd been working there a few years, who should come in but Maurice LaMarche? <laughs> now, I've interviewed I, Maurice LaMarche. He's lovely. I don't I don't geek out about a lot of celebrities. I geeked out about Maurice LaMarche. He's I could, great. I could I had no composure in front of the guy. <laughs> I was just like, uh, you, I grew up with you. You get to do silly voices for a living. You're so cool. It's like I, I, I'm just spewing this garbage out on Maurice LaMarche. And he was very humble. You know, this kind Canadian man. And he's like, thank you. He's like, I've been following you since the real Ghostbusters. And he did a little bit of the Egon Spangler. It's like, oh, that's so cool. You did Egon. And uh, he says, well, if you're geeking out over me, you should see who I'm coming in with. It's like, oh God, is he here with June Foray? He's here with Tress McNeil, you know, another one of these like famous voice actors. Uh, it, was, it, was it was Matt Groening. He's like, yeah. oh, pfft. Seen Matt Groening. It's no big Matt deal. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I interviewed Maurice LaMarche once for a web series I was doing for a while called Most Craved. It was mm-hmm. him and it was, um, oh, the guy who voiced Bender. Oh, uh, 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 why am I blanking on his name? DiMaggio. John yeah, DiMaggio. John Mike, yeah, great. They were both mm. great. And they're really funny, and they did the voices and everything. We mm. talked about, you know, Pinky and the Brain and Ghostbusters, and they were great. Mm. And I'm not going to repeat it here, but Maurice LaMarche told me the funniest dirty joke I've ever heard. Oh, was this heard the Willie Nelson joke? Uh, why why won't you tell it? No, I don't want to. I want to make it fun. So oh. if, you, if you see me in person, you'll, you'll, audience, sell, you'll tell I'll them tell you, I'll tell Maurice you Maurice LaMarche LaMarche's joke. awful joke. <laughs> It's so great. <laughs> it's so great. But you have to find me in person. You find me and I'll tell you the joke. I promise. All right. <laughs> uh, do we have any letters? Oh, uh, we got a couple. If you want to email us at Cancel mm-hmm. Too Soon, we, we will take every suggestion you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a long, long, long list and we can't get to all of them in a timely manner. We do about one a week. Mm-hmm. And even then it's going to take us a while. Uh, but we catalog all of your requests and the most popular ones we will get to eventually mm-hmm. or sooner than later. And uh, we also will answer your questions. Mm-hmm. We'll read your own reviews. If you've seen the shows that we review on this program, yeah. um, anything at all, 
Yeah. Anyway. Debate us about something, anything at all. Uh, this one comes from Chris Wong. Bibbs and the Professor, I feel bad sometimes when I hear you being forced to watch horror horrible shows and movie franchises in October. Not sure how you guys find the time and fortitude to watch so many extra things amidst a, a wedding and multiple jobs. So this came in, uh, in a while ago. Uh, well, actually, not too long ago, but okay. he's catching up, I guess. That's fine. Uh, have you considered following your podcast mentors, Dave and Alonso, by adding a Patreon to Cancel Too Soon, or do you feel not confident enough in it yet? You won't even have to lock the show behind Patreon. Just dedicate a bonus show because you have got you guys have the time. Yeah, thanks. Uh, every <laughs> month from a backer picked list. I hope you guys have continuing success it really seems like the show has a winning format chris wong uh p.s i know this is not a catchphrase uh actually we added this to the list of catchphrases a good way to end the show is to say a lie from the a line from the show you're reviewing each week yeah Um, well we 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 picked mm -hmm. our winner for the sweepstakes um as for patreon or paypal or anything like that that opens um, a, a, a can of tax worms. I don't think we're, we're ready to really tackle <laughs> you know, it. Yet. You don't want to be fucking with the tax worms. Mm. Um, I mean, there's stuff we could do with this show uh, potentially to monetize it. We've thought about maybe putting together um, a T-shirt or something mm. like that. We don't want, at the moment anyway, uh, uh, to put anything on the show behind like a firewall. Yeah, uh, we want you to be able to just enjoy it, build the audience. We're doing this because we want to do it. It that costs us some money. Um, it costs us like however much you know. It's like a hundred, two hundred dollars, like a year or something like that for just Libsyn, and then we buy as many of the shows as we possibly can. I spend maybe five hundred dollars a year on it, mm-hmm. um, which is not nothing. I don't. <laughs> that's that's not cheap, but like you know, it's it's. Uh, uh, it's it's an expenditure I'm happy to make, and I can write it off of my taxes, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> if we do something for money, I would want to make sure you guys get something out of it, like yeah. a, like a, you yeah. guys get something tangible out of it. Uh, um, so maybe so, we'll maybe we'll have T-shirts or mugs, like yeah. little little knife guys. Yeah, if it gets to the point where doing the show is unfeasible, like it's impossible to fit it into our schedules, unless we're actually making money off of it, mm. we may have to pursue that. Yeah, and, and we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. do it. And we we're not like making a vow. This isn't like Charles Foster Kane's statement of principles, where if we if we renege <laughs> you know on it, we're, we're terrible people. We're but just we're this doing is where we're at. Right we're now. doing this for funsies for the time being, and we're happy that you're listening more and, than anything. And I appreciate that you 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 know you suggested it, so mm. that implies that you yourself would want to throw in a little bit of money, and that's really nice. Mm. Um, so you know, maybe somewhere down the line, but well, at the moment we're good. Maybe we'll have a donate button at some we, point. We but, might yeah. I might be willing to do that. Mm. Any other letters? I thought we had at least one. I had one oh, about guilt at least. We have one about guilt. It's long well uh my, we if you hear my son crying in the next room we know <laughs> fortunately whitney's wife angie is, mm-hmm. is here to sort of take care. his son's fine he's we, fine we pause the we pause the recording briefly to make sure he's fine he's fine right. uh, we're recording this right. late Where this one comes from george white okay. uh greetings from ireland ireland <laughs> It's not Ireland or Ireland. I meant as you, I meant as in you are here. It's Ireland. Oh, I'm sorry, Ireland. Ireland, like the town from King of the Hill. Okay, uh, but don't say it in an Irish accent or even a West English pirate accent. Just say 
Ireland. That works better than an American accent. Fine, Ireland. It fine. Ireland. I don't care anymore. Ireland. You're in Ireland. Think, we have a few different Irish listeners, and and very... now now we're not doing very well with Irish pronunciation. Okay. We apologize say, to the entire nation of Ireland. We we or, or, or Ireland or, or Ireland, whatever it is. The we, Emerald Isle. We mean well. Uh, we apologize. We have accents. Ireland. I think only works in a good English accent. If an American says it, it sounds like Holland. <laughs> but back on topic. Ari anyway. Gilt. I think Prince Theo is supposed to be one of the children of one of the other sons of the queen. Think Princess Eugenie and Princess Beatrice. Okay. But I agree I agree with you about fake countries and fake princes. I remember Patriot Games had to change the character of Prince Charles, although he's only ever addressed it as the Prince of Wales in the book, to a stereotypical generic minor royal, probably some second cousin to the queen, Lord Holmes, played by James Fox, and it was confusing. I was watching the French Atlantic Affair, available thanks to the reliable men and women at Warner Archive, which sadly is a miniseries and otherwise not doable on the podcast, right. but it's a bizarre globetrotting 1979 mis- miniseries produced by Aaron Spelling, which is essentially The Love Boat Goes to Jonestown. Oh, <laughs> I want to see that. That sounds, that sounds awesome. That sounds horrible. About a French cruise captain by Louis Jordan, which is hijacked by Telly Savalas as a mad Greco-Irish-American terrorist priest who runs a UFO cult. This is the best show ever made. Oh my god, this sounds amazing. It does sound amazing. Uh, Savala seems to have been cast a lot as religious leader terrorists. See also Beyond the Poseidon Adventure and that episode of The Equalizer. Who hold also in wasn't he also a, a zealot in the Dirty Dozen? He was in but the Dirty Telly Savalas. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. yeah. He was like the guy who got who actually like completely went insane over the course of the mission. Yeah, yeah. 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 He was great. Uh, who holds up? He holds the place at ransom. It, as it's six hours long, there's a lot of bizarre subplots, including the heroes being Chad Everett's Harold Robbins esque novelist, Mamas and Papas Michelle Phillips as a cruise director, and a fourteen year old ham radio romance. 14-year-old ham radio romance and James Coco as a French cruise exec who retires as his boss Donald Pleasance makes fat jibes and Jose Ferrer turns up as the French president because in Hollywood in the 50s to the 80s, if you wanted another nationality, you just get in the classically trained Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, God. James Fer- Jose Ferrer got so much so much play in, oh, yeah. for, in, for so long yeah, just was, because he was like very vaguely foreign. No, there was a lot of those guys. Uh, Yul Brenner was another one. Yul he Brenner. could just play anything. Well, and, and you still have those. Uh, Tony Shalhoub, for instance, yeah. has played like any any nationality. Yeah. Uh, but the ransom has to be paid in Libwana. In the beautiful African state of Brazaca, except Libwana is just a Californian desert airfield. <laughs> Libwana. I would say you're making this up, but there's no way that has that, to be that real. Has, yeah. Oh my god, it sounds so great. Also, 70s war movies like The Wild Geese and Dogs of War featured countries called Zambala and Zangaro, uh-huh. which have even good, decent leaders played by the same actor, Winston In. Int Shona. I don't know Winston Int Shona. I, uh, I rather enjoy fake countries, though sometimes it does go wrong, i.e. there's an episode of The Six Million Dollar Man called Outrage in Ballandary, which is basically Steve Austin fights the IRA, except because the series was popular in UK and Ireland, uh, they decided to have it set in Ballandary, not the Irish town of the same name, but a fictional English-speaking northern European island in the Atlantic, ruled over by an unnamed, quote, dominion in British Army uniforms with English accents, though everyone spoke in Irish accents, and the villains were the I-B 
BA, the independent Ballandary uh, Army, not the independent Broadcasting Authority, and even stock footage of Belfast was used, jarringly mixed in with shots done on the universal backlot of an arid California dam and the universal little Europe backlot representing Crego country. In Ireland, it would be County Crego. Crego sounds like some somewhere in the deep south. Where locals drove around in French cars, wore flat caps like every Irish farmer actually does, and dressed like Huguenots. Oh gosh, Hollywood is so bad. <laughs> they're like, the worst. Like there's America and there's elsewhere in, oh, in Hollywood. It's ridiculous. Wait, no, is that, that going? Uh, okay. Oh yeah, it keeps going. Uh, the epi- okay. The episode, because of this, was never shown here or in Britain, and since the episode was also set in real life Brussels, then it had then it jarred having this weird fictional no communities harmed version of Ireland. There are Ballandarian American communities and quote authentic Ballandarian pubs in the Bionic verse. Am I Ballandarian in their universe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this the sort of fake version of Ireland. Uh, Ari, your term of so- your term of soap opera in Britain slash Ireland, most of the big soaps are prime time and have been. There were soaps called daytime soaps, e.g., Emmerdale Farm, which became prime time in the eighties, and Crossroads, but they were in tea time slots, and they there were da- daytime series, i.e., Crown Court, uh, but the biggest, e.g., Coronation Streets, are prime time, but shown several times a week. So we always treated Dallas and Dynasty as U.S. soaps, though we got all the Australian daytime soaps. Britain only ever got Santa Barbara until The Bold and the Beautiful and Sunset Beach in the 90s. A few others, like Ryan's Hope, got shown here in Ireland. Some people even saw Doctor Who as a soap, especially as it began series uh, and ran 48 weeks a year. And in the 70s, you had the unit family scenario. So here it's kind of muddy. So uh, yeah, we, I'm just confused now. Well, he was talking about the different time slots where they got them in different countries. Uh, uh, what we call daytime soap operas were primetime soaps there, and they were okay. getting primetime soaps for all over the uni- all over the okay. universe. So that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as for suggestions, have you guys ever considered a quasi spinoff, considering miniseries or TV movies? Oh, because we have so much time. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing. We're we're. Those mm. are kind of fair game in our between episodes. Mm. Again. But Cancel the Tune is like officially bi-weekly when we do like a full season. But if we do a, a pilot mm-hmm. or a TV movie, uh, for example, next week is actually both. It was a failed pilot that became a TV movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're doing those. Miniseries, we're not really touching it right now. But I'm not ruling it out someday mm-hmm. in the future. But we have enough material to work mm-hmm. with without getting into that can of worms. Yeah. When we think miniseries, everyone thinks Roots, Shogun, Winds of War. But there are some real genre slash trashy proto-lifetime ones out there. Salem's Lot, mm-hmm. V Lace, Lace 2, the aforementioned French Atlantic. Affair. Yeah. Go- a lot. Goliath awaits. Basically, Bioshock, if it was a 1981 three-hour quasi-horror with Christopher Lee and Frank Gorshin as the villains. That sounds cool. A British inventor, genius slash chief engineer, and a badly accented, quote, Dublin criminal, i.e. a nice network network way of saying he was a Republican terrorist. And hey, you should do some of the failed Sherlock Holmes, the preposterous 1972 Hound of the Baskervilles, a pilot for a Universal TV movie series, a la The Mystery Movie, featuring 50s screen idol slash poter Roger Moore Stuart Granger, a long way from the glories of King Solomon's Mines, as a rather old Holmes, and William Shatner as the mysteriously Canadian baddie, all shot in the very Californian environs of the sunny Little Europe backlot at Universal City. 
or the two pilots from the late 80s, early 90s, Sherlock Holmes Returns and The Return of Sherlock Holmes, which, though made by separate people, have very similar plots, both riffing on the 1960s BBC quasi-Doctor Who spinoff Adam Adamant Lives. Okay. Uh, There's more. And Sherlock Holmes returns down to its San Francisco slash Vancouver setting. Snake-themed villain, female Doctor sidekick, predates the 1996 Doctor Who TV movie by 18 months. Yep. Or the failed 70s British Poland American series Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson, which Marvel UK released a tie-in annual to, despite the series never getting aired in UK, despite having lots of famed slash semi-famed British actors. And by the way, that Sherlock Holmes TV movie Roger Moore doesn't count and wouldn't count as it was intended as a special. Yours, George White. Okay, uh, I'm going to say this right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you for writing in. You, you, you threw a lot of information in there. We love it. But we're going to have to start doing like emails in volumes. Like, <laughs> join us next week for volume two. Um, uh, wow, that's a lot. Yeah. And you've clearly done your research, and that's awesome. So and thank you for that. He didn't even mention those Sherlock Holmes movies with Matt Frewer. <laughs> oh, were, I forgot about yeah, those. There's, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of bad Sherlock Holmes to get through. He talks a lot about uh, uh, the fake country syndrome, which mm. we've seen a fair amount. And um, there's a couple that we haven't really talked about. One was Valverde, uh, which is the fictional country uh, in which Predator takes place and in which uh, is a major plot point in Commando. So Predator and Commando are in the same universe, which I think is great. Um, there's also, and I only just, I, I didn't really watch the cartoon Transformers that much as a kid, mm. but I recently found out that there was a fake Middle Eastern country in Transformers called Carbamia. Oh, no. Spelled exactly like you'd think. Carbamia. Oh, what were you thinking, Transformers? Wow. That's horrible. And I think Casey Kasem left the show over that or something. Like, it was real bad. Good. I I would leave the show, too. All right. Anyway, Whitney's son is is, uh, demanding more attention. I gotta go hug a boy. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, Thank you very much for listening uh, to Cancel Too Soon. Uh, You can subscribe to us on iTunes or we can track us on Libsyn. Uh, you can email us, uh, beanmoviespodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. That's for both of our podcasts. Uh, with suggestions, questions, critiques, ideas, debates, whatever you want to talk about, uh, we'll read it on the show. And uh, uh, join us next week, because next week we're going to be having a, a fun one. This is a failed TV pilot for something called Baffled, which stars Leonard Nimoy as a race car driver who develops psychic powers and starts solving mysteries. Sounds great. Thank you, 1970s. <laughs> we can't wait. It's going to be a fun one. Mm. Um, anything else before we go? Am I forgetting no, something? D- d- give, give, a, give them our new catchphrase. Oh, yes. That's a wrap, folks. See you next season.